Welcome to the Lifestyle First podcast, discussing lifestyle medicine and making self-care as easy as one, two, three. One question, two research reviews, and three actionable health tips, all centered around the Lifestyle First method, your blueprint for the 10 key roots of optimal health and happiness. And now your host, lifestyle medicine physician and coach, Dr. Alka Patel. Hi, hey, and hello. Welcome back to a new series. This is series eight. Yes, series eight, episode one. And the theme that we're focusing on today is L for life's purpose. So the one question that we're exploring is, how do I know my ikigai? And to help answer that, I am delighted to welcome today my guest, who is Professor Gordon Matthews from the Department of Anthropology at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Now, Professor Matthews is the author of What Makes Life Worth Living, and he's co-authored a number of other books as well. So, Professor Matthews, welcome. I'm delighted to be speaking with you today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So, um, in your book, what makes life worth living? You're exploring the meaning and purpose um, of life through the Japanese term ikigai. Now, listeners may or may not be familiar with this word. So I wonder if you could just start off by telling us what does that word ikigai embrace? Okay, well, first of all, um, I'm teaching a class this term called Meanings of Life. And I've got about 100 students who are listening to this. So every week I'm in the middle of this and, you know, they're asking about this. It's, it's a huge question. Um, the meaning of life is something that most of us, unless we're religious, don't know. I mean, why do we exist in the cosmos? I, I have some private sense of it, but I don't know. And I think most of us don't, unless we are a Christian or Muslim or, or Buddhist or Hindu following a, a religious tradition. It, it's hard to find. What we can find, though, is our own sense of individual purpose. And that seems to be a easier thing to find, but that's also precarious. And for most people, it's a rather limited number of things. For the students I teach now, it's probably their dream of the future because they're 20, 25. Uh, I think for most people in the prime of life, it is a matter of their work or their family. And family can either be a romantic partner or one's children. Um, then as one gets older, it may well be, um, it may recede into the past to a degree. For some people, it'll be religious belief, uh, but, but it, it does follow this kind of, of pattern. There aren't really very many of these. Now, does everybody live for work or family or dream or religious belief? No, of course not. Does this always make people happy? No, of course not. Yet, in effect, we do this. I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago who uh, he's an undergraduate student who graduated uh, uh, several years ago, and now he's working at a job that he doesn't like much, but he works at the job 60 or 70 hours a week. He was telling me that uh, at night he dreams about his job. He has nightmares about his job. And in effect, that's become his ikigai because that controls, that lives in his head. So ikigai isn't necessarily something, oh, it's so wonderful. It's whatever pushes you to do what you do for better or for worse. Now, for most people, it is something rather wonderful. I remember uh, an American cartoon that, that I found really moving about this. It was uh, a man who 
gets up in the morning and commutes to work and it shows him telling himself, why do I put up with this? Then at the office, you know, the copy machine is, is broken and his computer's not working. Why do I put up with this? He asks himself. Then uh, the boss begins to shout at him, you did this wrong. Why do I put up with this? He asks himself. And then he drives back in a long commute traffic jam. Why do I put up with this? And then when he comes, when he's walking in his door at home, his little daughter throws her arms around his leg and says, daddy, daddy, I love you. And he thinks that's why I put up with this. Now that's a little sentimental for many of us, but that is Ikigai right there. It's why you put up with what you put up with in this world. It's, it's what drives you, what gives you that sense of purpose. So it sounds as though you're describing a driver, uh, a motivator, something that, is it as simple as something that gets you up in the morning? We hear about that, don't we? There's the French translation of raison d'etre, why you are, why you're, why you're being. Um, is that a, a, a reasonable way to approach Ikigai as the reason to get up in the morning? Or is there something more to it? Well, right now, there's a lot of pop books out that, um, I mean, I suppose they, they benefit people in talking about Ikigai, but they're mostly nonsense in the sense that they don't really know how the term is used in Japanese. Um, I've spent um, a large portion of my life in Japan. I, I, I know the language very well. I read Japanese well and so on. And I've, I've studied the way the term is used. And I'll never forget uh, my first couple of years in Japan studying Japanese. And coming across this term ikigai, and what was remarkable is ordinary people used it. You know, the French term raison d'etre that you mentioned, that's a fairly fancy word. Yeah. You know, people may use it, but not too often. Ikigai is something people use all the time. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting with a Japanese friend of mine and uh, we're in a bar talking about life and he says, damn, this is my ikigai or uh, a Japanese woman who's uh, nursing her child and then tells me, this child is what is my ikigai. Or uh, another friend with whom I climb a mountain and she says, this is my ikigai, you know, being at the peak and looking out over things. So this is a practical term. And yes, it is a driver for how you live as you live. Now, if you have ikigai, are you happier than if you don't? Probably you are, because it gives you a purpose, a reason to get up in the morning, but it's nothing fancy. My students often mistake Ikigai for uh, a, a, an abstract entity. My Ikigai is to help the world. No, it's not. I mean, that may be a, a driving force in your life, but Ikigai is something rather practical. What in your life is most important to you? What makes your life seem worth living? And it often is a rather practical matter. So based on that, then, does it embrace a feeling and if it is does embrace a feeling is it always the feeling of joy is it embracing the joy of the little things you mentioned the the mother with her baby the father coming home to his child uh, climbing mountains is it embracing the joy of of the little things and the big mountains is it about presence here and now is there an emotion that is attached to ikigai okay that, that's a great question and I'm, I'm really happy you asked that um, what I've just described to you so far is something that in Japanese is called ikigai taisho. And that's the object of one's ikigai. That is, as I said, work or family or religious belief or dream or something like that. But there also is ikigai kan. And that's the feeling of ikigai, the feeling you have of life seeming worth living. 
And so when a Japanese person says, ah, kori wa ikigai da, this is really what my ikigai is, they're probably talking about that feeling, like the guy who climbed the mountain or the woman who climbed the mountain with me. You know, this is her feeling of, wow, life is good. Or the guy drinking beer with me. Life is good, isn't it? And that is the feeling. And it's a feeling that life is worth living. Now, is Ikigai always something that leads to wonderful things? Well, maybe not. Vincent van Gogh, the painter, no doubt found his Ikigai in his painting. And yet he killed himself, as have many other artists and writers that we know of, including Mishima in Japan and so on. So it doesn't always lead to this overwhelming bliss. But probably having a sense of purpose in your life does help considerably in making life seem worthwhile. Certainly, if you have an ikigai, boredom becomes a lot less likely to have because you have this purpose that does push you along to do what you do. And this goes to a fairly fundamental fact of life. A lot of life is not much fun. You know, I mean, we go to the grocery store. Well, it's okay, but come on. Nobody says, bless, I'm in the grocery store. Or, you know, you're at work, you're doing stuff, you're filling out forms and so on. You're answering phone calls that you don't want to answer and so on. It's not a whole lot of fun. So Ikigai can be that little spice that gives you that sense of, wow, this is why I'm doing all this. So yes, I think Ikigai can lead to happiness often. Okay, so that's really great to... Uh to be able to establish that the act and the doing, it's the feeling. Is it also the pursuit? Do you think that we're caught up in this pursuit of purpose, in this pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of ikigai? I think we probably are, but that's a, a complicated question because on the one hand, if, for example, I think my wife is my ikigai, my wife Yoko, and she's been, been sick sometimes, she's better now, and when she was sick, I would have done anything in the world to help her. So that's what I needed to focus on. On the other hand, in the very larger cosmic sense, the truth is that nothing we do really matters. You know, we live and then we die in all likelihood. Now, religious people may disagree, but I think most of us in the developed world probably sense that, hey, it doesn't matter. And so that's important, too that you have your guy, but you also need to look beyond it. I, I know for me sometimes, if there's something that's bothering me, um, just to walk outside and feel the rain on my face or see the moon shining down, you know, I can think, hey, the things I'm thinking about are really stupid compared to all that. For all I know, I am uh, a member of the only species in the universe that can look at the moon and appreciate it. And that has to be what I am. That's more important than anything else. So, so that gives a, an, another element. Now, that sounds like an ikigai is religion, I suppose, and maybe it is. Maybe I'm confusing the matter by bringing that up. But it's often true that what we live for is very important for our immediate lives. I mean, obviously, if, it's a, if you work as a doctor and are trying to cure cancer, if you uh, are deeply in love with your children, you know, and they're sick or, or troubled in some way, of course you live for that. But there also is this larger sense too that I think is important to remember. So you mentioned there then life and death. Um, and I just wonder if I could just probe a little bit um, on there as well. Um, I've been looking at the book um, at the core, Sheldon Solomon and his co-authors um, have written that. And they describe um, our fear of death 
as the big driver or motivator for what we do. And that's why infusing our life with purpose is important for us because it keeps our fear of the inevitable, the fear of death at bay and just allows us to be in that moment to moment without becoming overwhelmed by really what you've described as our ultimate fate, which is which is death. So do you feel that that might be the purpose of purpose, a way to navigate through our fear of all fears? You know, when I was 20 or 30, I completely believed that. And in that book, The Worm at the Core, they're basing their ideas on a scholar named Ernest Becker, who wrote a book called The Denial of Death that won a Pulitzer Prize. It's an extraordinary book, and I'd recommend you read it. uh, Sorry, not you personally, but I recommend anybody in this audience to read it. I don't want to make any recommendations to you. Although, but still, still, um, for me, I think that's overboard. I don't think death is something we fear that much, particularly as we get older. I mean, I, I think of my own life when I was 20 or when I was 30, I was, was quite terrified of death because I hadn't done anything yet that I wanted to do. Really. And particularly, I was obsessed at that age with contributing something. You know, I want to do something. What, what am I going to do that makes the world a better place and so on? At my age, I mean, hell, I'm 66. I'll be retiring in a a few years, and um, I hope to enjoy life some more, especially with my wife, and I expect to be able to, but death is something a little less frightening. I've done what I needed to do. I have uh, just uh, completed a book manuscript on senses of life after death in um, the United States, Japan, and China by interviewing a lot of people about life after death. And to my surprise, while some people seem to be afraid of death, a lot of others did not. Now, you can say that subconsciously they were, but I'm not sure they were, you know, especially people who are older. One American in his 90s said, at my age, death is not an enemy, it's a friend. And I'm looking forward to it. It's it's going to be a good thing to go through. And I think I can say that honestly about myself. Um, I don't want to leave behind the people I love, but I'm looking forward to death because I want to see what happens. I suspect nothing happens, but... I don't know. And we in our age may be just as confused as we think people a thousand years ago were. I mean, when people uh, in, a, a say, a French monastery a thousand years ago or an English monastery were arguing over uh, how many angels are on the head of a pin. Well, we too. There's nothing. We're animals with oversized brains. That too may be an illusion. And in a, a world of multiverses and so on, we have no idea what may come. It'll probably be a lot stranger than we can imagine. One central question about death that that interests me is the philosophical question, why is there something rather than nothing? Why does this universe exist? And many scientists would say, well, it just is. You know, that's all. And, And it has nothing to do with us. But I think some more religious people or more spiritual people would say, well, no. The fact that we exist is itself evidence of love. Uh, of some sort of love on a grand cosmic scale. Now, in all honesty, I don't fully believe that myself, but I'm also not willing to disbelieve it. Who knows? When I die, maybe I'll find out, or maybe I won't. <laughs> Curiosity, who knows? Absolutely. Um, so then just picking up on uh, on the word love that you mentioned there, um, many people may be familiar with that Ikigai diagram that's come over to the West, which talks about uh, the intersection of what you love and what you're good at, what the world needs and what you can get paid for. And if you find that sweet spot, 
that is your ikigai. What is your view on that? Well, that may be true, but first of all, that's something Japanese would not recognize unless they've read a Japanese translation of this. That has little to do with the Japanese concept of ikigai. Now, no one owns ikigai. I don't own it. So the the guy who wrote that can write anything he wants. Fine. But that's not something that would be recognizable to most Japanese as ikigai. Um, It's also true that we need to be a little skeptical about the world of neoliberalism that we're in. Because what that means when we come down to our individual selves is we're always working on our CVs, our resumes to look better. And how can I look better? What can I do to look better? And many gurus will tell us, find what you love and you can make a good living at it. You can be fine. Maybe not. And it's certainly true that some people uh, make an effort to find what they love and are failures at it. And that's perfectly okay. But nonetheless, that kind of thing can happen. So life is not quite that easy. Uh, My own mother uh, left my father many, many years ago to become an artist. And she realized to her regret after 15 or 20 years, really striving to be an artist, that she simply was not very good at it. And that's an insight worth having, that just because you love to do something doesn't mean that all the gates in the universe are going to open. Um, You know, I I go back to what the Buddhists say and what some recent uh, more serious psychologists have said. Life is painful. It is suffering. That's the way things go. And hopefully we can transcend it. But it's not all that easy. So I would say in response to those books on Ikigai, yeah, go ahead and read them if you want. Uh, Fine, they might be helpful. But remember, too, that Ikigai isn't going to solve anything in the end because you will die. And what will your life be worth then? I was just teaching my students about this the other day, that, you know, if your Ikigai is your work, at some point you're going to have to retire. What do you do then? If your Ikigai is your family, your kids are going to leave home, your spouse will die or you will die. Uh, that's going to happen. We lose what we love and we have to remember. Now, what's the solution to this? Well, again, my solution, I hope, uh, is going to be to feel the the rainbow, watch the rainbow. I won't feel the rainbow, feel the the rain on me. Um, You know, just experience the world. I'm hoping when I'm 95 years old, if I live that long, even if I am single and not able to move around much, to be watching BBC Earth and thinking, wow, what a planet we live on. That would be a great thing to do because we are more than anything now in our lives. Now, um, a book like that on Ikigai may be quite wonderful for somebody who is 20 years old trying to figure out what to do in their lives. And it might have been really helpful to me too. Nonetheless, life is more than that because of this overall message that we don't really matter a whole lot in the end. And the solution to that is to learn to enjoy life and laugh at ourselves. We really need to be laughing at ourselves. We take ourselves much too seriously. And if we learn to laugh at ourselves, it it, it would be a lot easier to live life in uh, a a fuller way, I think. I I love that. Lighten up, absolutely. Lighten up on ourselves and lighten up on other people um, around us as well. And uh, absolutely what you say, just that awe of the world and curiosity and experience seems to be what you're uh, what you're describing and now here is your lifestyle first prescription your three activating actions to take you from knowing to doing 
are there perhaps three thoughts that you could leave our listeners with today? Okay, um, I'll get to that in a second, but I need to talk just a little bit more about um, Ikigai here. Because uh, I'm not sure, but at least some of your listeners will be uh, 20, 25, 30. And it takes a while to find it. Overwhelmingly, in the way that I think of Ikigai, if it is your work or your family uh, or your religious belief or, some, or maybe a hobby, generally people don't know when they're 20 or 25. But by the time people are 30 or 35, usually something settles in. Now, it can be an ikigai that you uh, choose, and that's ideal, or it can be an ikigai that's forced upon you. I mean, typically, some of my uh, American friends who find uh, they're in a relationship and suddenly they have two kids. They didn't mean for this to happen, but, well, that's their ikigai. Fine. That, too, can be ikigai, and you can, can take that and make that your ikigai through a bit of, of work on yourself so that you'll develop this ikigai. It will happen. I think in the world now, most people have ikigai. They might not fully realize it, but you can figure out your ikigai by thinking, what is most important to me in my life? And sometimes you don't really know. The way I get at this with students often is to ask, as I was a couple of days ago with the students in my class, um, what's most important to you? Oh, my studies are. Well, let's say you're offered a scholarship to Harvard next year, but your mother develops cancer. And your mother says, please don't go. Which would you do? I'd stay with my mother. Well, then isn't your mother your ikigai and not your studies? Hmm, maybe you're right. I mean, you can, you can, and by asking yourself questions like this, practical questions, then you can get at what really is important. In my own interviews on ikigai over the years, um, I, I've often been talked to people who realize their ikigai only after it comes to a certain point. I'll never forget a famous uh, Japanese writer who um, was, and uh, no, I'm confusing people, an American writer who was uh, talking about how her writing really was key to her. But then after she talked a while on this, she said, well, I realize God's most important to me. And it's not my writing. I live for my writing, but at the end of the day, I do this for a religious purpose. I never knew this about myself. And so what it does, this doesn't demand deep philosophical reflection, but it, it means look at, look at yourself. What's most important? I myself used to think that anthropology and the teaching I do and the research I do is most important until my wife got cancer that could have been terminal. And then I realized, wait, that's not most important to me. She is most important to me. And I realized that. So, so, you know, it takes experiences, but also just examining yourself before you understand what's key. Most of us, almost all of us do have this. Let me go back to answering your question because you wanted me to finish up here, right? <laughs> okay. Absolutely. No, I'm great. Glad that we sort of detoured because that's a really important area to think about is uh, having space for some introspection. I think in our busy lives, we don't allow ourselves that. Most people don't ask themselves the question, what matters to me? And that is such a fundamental question to just ask yourself and keep asking yourself as well. So no, appreciate that. Uh, that insight, thank you so much. And that, yes. Another insight here that's important is happiness is something you can't find. I mean, you can never pursue happiness. You'll never find it if you do. Happiness is something that sort of strikes you suddenly. I mean, late at night, uh, I'm sometimes drinking a glass of whiskey. And this insight pours in, well, I guess I'm really happy. That's interesting. That's what happiness is. It's not something, am I happy now? Where's happiness? Is this happiness? Oh, my God, have I got it? No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> 
remember how important it is to laugh at yourself. And the way to do that is to realize that most of the struggles that you're having in life are not very important in the end. And remember, you know, you're going to die before all that long, as all of us will die. And given that, you know, what, what's important in life? It's worth remembering. And on, on that basis, laugh. I mean, look outside, look at the clouds, look at the sunsets, look at, you know, the rain, whatever it may be, as well as the people that you love. Enjoy that, feel that. And that's what's essential. Don't take yourself so seriously. It's not that important. Nothing really matters. But the well, that's false because it does matter. You don't want to hurt people to the extent you can avoid it. Causing pain to other people does matter. But in an ultimate cosmic sense, even that does. The point is we've been given the gift of life. And just to remember that and enjoy it by seeing things in the world without becoming so wrapped up inside of one's head, which really isn't very important. Remember, at the end of the day, no one's going to remember you. You'll be forgotten. We're all going to be forgotten. Maybe not immediately after we die, but a hundred years after we die, unless you're William Shakespeare or somebody, you're going to be forgotten. I'm going to be forgotten. That's fine. Meanwhile, you've been granted the gift of life. So you want to live so that when you die, if you can, you say not please more or not. I'm terrified. Rather, thank you. Thank you for everything. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, sharing that. I think that's a um, fabulous way to end today's conversation, simply because it has given us something to think about uh, after this, which is very much about laugh more, experience more, enjoy more, marinate in what you're seeing um, around you, and recognize, I guess, the finality of it all, but appreciate that and expect that and don't be afraid of that either. So. Okay, and just one last brief comment. Remember, um, I'm not as wise as I sound here. I fuck up in my life as much as anybody does. So please remember that. <laughs> we are all but human, absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you for the laughter today um, as well. Really appreciate um, that. I'm sure listeners are going to want to find out a little bit more about your work and, and your ethos as well. So where can I direct them to to find out a bit more? Um, my name is Gordon Matthews with one T, and you can look me up in the internet. If you'd like, drop me an email. I have a book about Ikigai and so on, but drop me an email, and I'll, unless I'm inundated, which I doubt, I'll be glad to answer. So. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for your openness. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for the laughter uh, today as well, uh, which leads me now simply to wish everybody a happy, healthy day. Thanks for joining us on the Lifestyle First podcast making self-care as easy as one, two, three. Don't forget to subscribe and share, and we'd love it if you'd be kind enough to leave a review. To learn more or to arrange a consultation, please visit www.dralkapatel.com. See you next time.